you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman, and here's what's happening today at Newsweek. Following a wave of announcements by American companies that they would no longer be doing business in Russia, YouTube can now add its name to a list of entities making it much more difficult to generate revenue off of activity inside the country. It all began when Russia's media regulator demanded that Google block ads on YouTube containing what it called false political information about Ukraine, what the rest of the world would call, you know, reporting. As a response to that move, YouTube told its creators that they had paused all Google and YouTube ads in Russia. The follow-up to that announcement is that they have now paused every monetization feature, including YouTube Premium, channel membership, Super Chat, and merchandise for all viewers in Russia. What this means is that if you're a content creator in Russia, you will no longer be able to revenue off of ads that appear to people in Russia. You can still make money on ads shown to people outside of the country that view your content, but you can't make any revenue off of your fellow countrymen, essentially. And of course, foreign producers of content can't make money off of Russian viewers either. This follows last week's announcement that Google would no longer advertise content produced by Russian state media because it didn't want people to take advantage of the conflict for financial gain. So if you're a Russian producing content for YouTube, it's still published, but you can't make money off of it from people in your own country. And if you're that guy in Connecticut with a giant following on YouTube Moscow, no revenue for you for a while. Similarly, Microsoft has also announced it will suspend all new sales of its products and services in Russia, meaning that the two foremost search engines have completely cut off revenue generation from inside the country. Meanwhile, elsewhere in internet land, streaming giant Spotify is bracing for a loss of about 1.5 million paying subscribers in the first quarter of 2022. But it's not because of Joe Rogan, they say. Remember how Rogan was the subject of everybody's Twitter feed when he was alleged to be spreading COVID vaccine misinformation on his Joe Rogan Experience podcast and people were threatening to pull their music off of Spotify if Spotify didn't pull Joe Rogan off the platform. They decided to stick with Rogan in the midst of a massive contract with him and despite a growing wave of threats from artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Niles Lofgren. Well, flash forward to the report delivered this week by Spotify CFO Paul Vogel. He said, We're going through a little bit of controversy, and there's always going to be some impact. But he says the primary loss to subscribers is because they've cut off ties with, you guessed it, Russia. Like many other organizations, after the Russian military invasion of Ukraine last month, Spotify closed its offices in Russia and pulled all content from the country's media outlets, RT and Sputnik, even though they're a very small share of the company's overall revenue. They're also no longer collecting premium subscription service from Russians, although it is permitting access to its service in Russia to allow for the global flow of information. So what do the numbers say? Spotify had been heading at about 8 million total subscribers in the first quarter of 2022, 3 million of them paying, and now they're showing that 1.5 million loss. So was it Rogan? Was it Russia? Regardless of the actual source, Spotify says the overall share of their loss is not that much since they have about 180 million paying subscribers. And finally, have you ever done something that seemed like a pretty good idea at the time, and then later when you saw the photos you thought, ooh, maybe not so much? 
Two Democratic New York state senators are now apologizing for posing with a banner outside of a climate change rally at the New York state capitol in Albany this week. Activists there were demanding lawmakers include $15 billion in climate-related funding in state projects due later this week. That's not what got them in trouble. What got them in trouble was they decided to pose with a man who was holding a banner, a large vinyl pre-printed banner that showed the Twin Towers back in place, a plane heading toward the Twin Towers. On the plane was the verbiage climate change, and below it in red over the other buildings of lower Manhattan, wake up America before it's too late. Clearly drawing a direct analogy between the attacks on the Twin Towers in 2001 and the attack on the world presumably being posed by man-caused climate change. Now here's where it gets interesting. The state Senate Republican leader Rob Ort tweeted that this is a shameful use of 9-11 imagery and it offends every New Yorker. A very predictable response from the Republican. The two senators in the picture, Jackson and May, also apologized. Sort of. Senator Jackson says, Today I attended a rally in support of investments in addressing climate change. I posed for photos with many advocates attending at the rally, one of them a veteran of our nation holding up his banner. I did not note the details of the artwork and would never support anything that denigrates the memory of all who were impacted by 9-11. The artwork depicted is wrong, and I fully reject it. He then went on to say, As a New York City native who continues to be personally impacted by the events of that horrific day, I sincerely apologize to anyone who might be confused by any political ploy to mischaracterize my actions. Indeed, the only time I saw the banner in its entirety was on the minority leader's social media. So Senator Jackson is essentially saying, I didn't know what was on that giant banner unfurled in my hands that I was posing for a picture behind. And if I had, well, goodness, I wouldn't have done it. But also... Don't be confused by other people who are making it seem like I should have known what was on that giant banner in front of me. Senator May had a more succinct response. The imagery on the banner is unacceptable, and I would never endorse such a cynical use of our state's history to score cheap points. I apologize sincerely to all New Yorkers and call upon the organizers to similarly condemn this message. Which does sort of beg the question. You know, politicians get asked to pose for pictures with all sorts of people doing all sorts of things. And did they really not look at what the banner that was right in front of their whole bodies before they took a picture of the person holding it with them? Or did he maybe say, hey, guys, come take a picture with me. I've got this banner I want to unfurl in front of you, but don't look at it. Just wait until it's done and then smile for the camera. Eh, I'd kind of like to see video at this point. In any case, the good news is they apologized. But it is a good reminder of that core life lesson all of our parents taught us. Be sure to read the giant banner you're holding before somebody takes a picture of you holding it. That's it for your daily break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. And while you're here, take a second and hit that five-star rating for us. That lets us know that you think we're doing a good job. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.